Hello and welcome to this episode of Greer Method, the podcast. I'm your host, Jared J. Greer, founder of Greer Method and an executive coach. Today's episode is a fun one. We are interviewing Scott Hill, who's a business broker. Uh, He's built and sold several businesses uh, across his 25 years of experience. He's a devoted husband and father and truly a guy who's really getting it done in a variety of areas. Uh, He's also the owner and founder of his consulting agency, William & Hill. He's the host of the show, the podcast, Defy the Odds, uh, which is really aimed at helping people to buy and sell businesses. Uh, And we have a really good conversation about his experience, you know, some of the things that uh, he's learned across the years that you really can't learn any other way than just by being in those situations. Uh, he talks about the time when he thought he was going to close on a on a uh, selling a business, and he waited at an airport terminal for eight hours uh, waiting for this person. So you'll have to listen to find out what happens. He talks about how he built a business, ultimately operated it, bought out his partner, sold the business, and then actually helped his mom to buy it back again and kind of what happened with that. So it's a fun uh, episode that we have a good time talking about business, what we need to look for and think about when we're trying to prepare for the future. If we're business owners and we think that we are going to sell our business, what kinds of things do we have to be really, really sure of and clear of? So it's a really fantastic episode, and I hope you sit down and uh, enjoy it. Welcome to the show, Scott. Super happy to have you. Thank you for taking the time to spend with us today. I no problem. I appreciate you having me. How are you? Doing very well. Good. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do, um, just to kind of give people some background and kind of some context as to uh, what type of work you're in? Yeah, certainly. Um, over the past 25 years, I've I've done a lot of work in and around small business, and you know I could go into that. But to answer your question, really. I'm trying to build a business that no matter where you are as a small business owner or aspiring, aspiring small business owner, I can help you take the fears and unknowns out of doing either of those things. I mean, that's really the, the basic gist of it. I certainly, as you mentioned, I am a business broker. I do walk uh, business owners through the process, hold their hand and, and act as a full service business broker. But, you know, developing courses, you know, throwing out content like I'm sure you do just to help people really take the fears and unknowns out of the process. In, in your, I love that. In your experience, what are some of the biggest fears and unknowns that you've, you know, you've helped people to get over? Or maybe that, you know, those looking to jump into it should maybe be aware of or be thoughtful of? Uh, most of the time, people just really have a not a very good idea what their business is valued at, frankly. I mean, that's a big one. Um, But at the end of the day, it's this fear among both existing business owners and aspiring business owners that you don't want to get a raw deal. You know, you're, you're at this point and let's, let's go from each side briefly. You're at the point as a business owner where you'd like to sell your business for maybe a variety of reasons. Some of those are good, and some of those are not so good. Um, you know, if you have recently found out you have a serious health issue that's going to prevent you from running your business going forward and you have to get out quickly. So you're motivated to sell that way or, you know, the business is good, your business, your business value or you're at the top of your sales range, you think, and maybe you're worried this run of economic uh, prosperity is coming to an end and you'd like to get the most out of your business that you can right now, or, you know, they're just, they're just a variety of factors. Lots of people like me, unfortunately, maybe are prone to a little bit of the, oh, there's a squirrel kind of mentality and they have another business interest that starts to get their attention and, and that takes off a bit. And now they're looking at this existing business they have that they've had for a while. And, and maybe it's something that they'd want to part with if the, if the conditions were right, you know, so for business owners, it's all of that. But at the end of the day, it's I'm not prepared to sell my business if I'm going to get a raw deal. You know, I, I feel like my business has value. What's it worth? And if it's not going to be something that I feel like is fair, then I'm not going to sell it. And the same, on the other side for buyers, buyers really are afraid of the same thing. Most aspiring business owners have never dipped their toe into small business ownership. 
even though, you know, like a, a recent study like Vistaprint says 62% of us want to be our own boss. Yeah. But they sit there and they think, okay, where do I start? You know, what do I do in order to get myself, you know, pursuing my American dream here that yeah. some of us have already done and some of us really enjoy for better or for worse doing, you know? Yeah. And so they're sitting there saying, okay, if I do do it though, what happens if I pay too much? What happens if I, I take out a loan and uh, I pay too much for the business and now I'm, you know, I'm almost suffocating from the debt load and debt service on this business and, and goodness, what do I do now kind of thing? I'm on the hook. I've, I've got my family that's bought into this trip down business ownership lane here and uh, now I got to sweat it out. So you know, if that, hopefully that answers your question, but that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think uh, uh, you, you, you talk about kind of how in the worst case scenario, you've got the person who is trying to maybe get out of their business. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe it, they, they see that the change in the market and they're trying to escape. And then you couple that with someone who's nervous about getting in and those two people meet and maybe that maybe right. a transaction changes, then that creates a lot of challenge and, and difficulty. Before well, we you bring up a very good point because once the the hesitant buyer meets the hesitant seller, that is not a very good recipe many times because unless you build the relationship properly, unless you go into it and start to try to build from a position of strength and trust and things like that and know the process and are confident in a process, you end up just being very skeptical of the other side and start maybe not intentionally insulting the other person, but you know, wait a minute, you said your business is doing this. I noticed this and you're, you know, in no uncertain terms, you're lying to me, prove it. And it just, it, it can get ugly. And yeah. I mean, it's almost, it's almost like uh, having a discussion with another parent about, you know, the, the value of a child or, you know, yeah. the parent who yeah. owns or who is the parent of that child is going to be very critical and careful and protective. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to eyes wide open, right? Yeah. This business owners spent the last 10 or 15 years building this business that throws off a couple hundred thousand in free cash flow. And, and they've got this wonderful business and they're like, you should be kissing my feet for the yeah. opportunity to buy this business. <laughs> and meanwhile, the buyer's scared beyond you know, any degree of normalcy because they've never done it before. And they're looking at, you know, if a business throws off a couple hundred thousand in free cash flow and you value it at a couple X multiple, you know, they, their loan may be a couple, let's call it 350 to 500 grand. And like, I'm not going to sleep again for the rest of my yeah. life, you know, and <laughs> that makes it difficult, you know, so you can't do it really in my experience in over 25 years of doing this, you just can't do it without a process. Yeah. So what got you into it? So take us back and we can, we'll, we'll come back to this, but you know, take us back to how you got to where you are now. Um, so I started out, I graduated from college and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So a really good friend of mine who had helped me along the way uh, said that you should sell something if you don't know what you want to do because that'll be as good if not a better education that you can get um or you are getting in college just sell something you know because you will really you'll you'll get some scars and bumps and bruises and learn some things along the way but you'll always sell yourself so do that and at the time i really didn't have any good reason to argue with them over it you know yeah. so i said well all right i mean it makes as much sense as anything else i could be thinking about so i went and sold life insurance for Northwestern Mutual, which is probably the hardest form of selling because you're the pariah at any party. You know, people want to run from you. I mean, it's like- You're one of the financial it. advisors that are huddled in the corner. Right, you go try and find some of them and have the same conversations. It's just, you know, it's, it's an existence. Um, and I enjoyed it, but I wasn't much for a lot of the details around it. And um, I didn't want to necessarily be where I was long-term to raise a family and all that. So I, I still had, um, and, and Northwestern Mutual has this really um, structured cocoon of entrepreneurial, an entrepreneurial behavior in it and an environment like that because they don't pay anything. You got to earn it all yourself and all that, but you do have a proven product set and 
tractor run on all that. So it's, it's a good way to learn right out of the gate. And so I did that, got done with that. And then I just decided, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to jump in the deep end and be an entrepreneur and let the chips fall where they may. So I started a website. I got some venture capital money for it. I sold that for a million shares of worthless stock at some point, you know, and so my first painful experience of selling a business for nothing. And then, um, I, I, I built, I founded and built a couple of businesses in succession that really did well. And I sold both of those in, in one of those cases, I actually had to buy out my partner. And so I, it, it was a, it, that really represented an opportunity to quote, buy a business because it's the same process to buy out a partner. Mm -hmm. And so uh, at that point I uh, had some time and money and I, and I thought how much I enjoyed the process of buying and selling businesses that I might as well figure out a way to do that, you know, on a um, much more regular basis. So I got into a business where I was helping buy and sell uh, businesses and it was a niche business brokerage and we sold uh, independent insurance agencies and I, I just kind of stayed around the Southeast and that was really uh, helpful. And, um, and I learned a lot from that because uh, sitting with buyers and sellers got me on that, that third side of the table that I hadn't experienced yet. I had been on the seller side. I had been on the buyer side. I had been on the founder side and business owner side, but I hadn't been in the, on the intermediary side and, you know, I've, I, I love that. I love helping people realize value or yeah. get into a business themselves. And so that's kind of my what, background. What was your biggest surprise in that position? You know, not being the buyer or the seller, but now being kind of the objective third party, right? Um, gosh, that's a good question. I've learned so many lessons. I mean, it's a, it's a culmination of lessons learned. And I, I tell some of these stories one of which, you know, was as I have learned over the past 25 years and developed this proprietary process that I have in each of those steps, there are some big aha moments that you'll have, you know, and you, you get them through experience. I'm, I'm 50 years old and there are lots of businesses where age does not matter. You know, you can acquire knowledge quickly or, you know, I think of digital marketing and some of the stuff people are doing on, with online businesses. You don't need age in order to be good. Yeah. But in my business, fortunately or unfortunately, age is a really valuable asset because over the 25 years is what's primed me to do what I do. And I'm developing and launching a course this month. And those are the things that, you know, I'll draw on is all those experiences. One of which was a all closing meetings. If you're ever in a business and you're selling one or buying one, the closing meeting should be 30 minutes long, max. You go in, you set all the agreements on the table, the clo closing attorney lays them all out in triplicate, you walk around the table, sign, exchange checks, and you're done. That is a closing meeting if it does well. If you've ever bought a house, it's very similar. Yep. You know, you're not haggling over anything anymore. It's just a formality. Well, I had an eight hour closing one time. You know, so you're like, that wasn't just walking around the table signing. That wasn't walking around the table. That was a guy who brought his brother who we didn't know existed until then. And he happened to be an attorney and his brother wanted to show us how smart he was. He already had an attorney who went through and looked at the deal and we thought we agreed on everything and we had to rehash the entire deal in eight hours. Wow. So, wow. So things like that, it's if you don't follow a process, then you're liable to learned some very valuable lessons. I had one statistic say that 90% of small businesses uh, that get to the closing, scheduled closing meeting will sell. And so 10% still don't, even though let's say you and I, you're the buyer, I'm the seller, we've gone through everything, due diligence, we've, we've looked at and we have final agreements in place and we're, we literally know next Tuesday at two, we'll, we're gonna be sitting together exchanging checks and you're gonna be buying my business. Well. I sat at the runway terminal waiting for my buyer to come off the plane. He never showed. And it was that afternoon, the closing. Wow. So those are like, you know, the question you asked was, what have you learned? Those are some of the valuable lessons you learn. And you, so what does that do? At the end of the day, that gives you perspective. You know, you know that 
how many times and how many ways a deal can die. And because you've developed a process by learning and going through all those things, you know how to navigate all those obstacles better. And it yeah. just increases your chances. And that's what, you know, that's really what I've learned over the years. That, that experience is invaluable. For it's sure. invaluable. And if, if, I, if I had only been in business eight years and I'm trying to build this course and that me standing at the jetway and not having the buyer show up is in the 10th year, I don't get the benefit of that experience. And, I don't, and my students or people who are my clients or people who take my course won't get the benefit of that experience. No. But because I'm 25 years in, I've had a lot of experience. So what do you say to the business owners who, you know, are, they're in it, they're trying to do it on their own. I mean, how do they, they don't have to experience that in particular, right? No. So what is their approach? Is it, do they, do they just need to go out and get a business consultant or a business coach, a, you know, a broker when it gets to that point? Like at what point do they bring you in? There, there, are, there are three things any business owner needs to sell their business. They don't need a business broker. They need three things in place. They need a transition plan. Statistics say more than 70% of us business owners have never thought anything about transition. They have no idea what they're going to do if and when they sell their business, if and when they have a health problem and they need to sell it, if and when they want to retire, if and when they get distracted and they have another business opportunity. Regardless of the reason, people aren't thinking about business transition. So they need a plan. I have a free course that it's already out there that's how to develop a plan, no strings attached. First off, we got to get business owners thinking about what they're going to do if and when they're going to sell their business. Create a plan. That's number one. Number two, have a reasonable expectation of the value of their business. I will speak personally here too. Several times I was frankly a little disappointed in what I, my business was going to be worth based on what I saw and the research yeah. I did about valuation. I thought it'd be worth way more. I thought I was gonna be, you know, Mark Cuban and buy the <laughs> Dallas Mavericks with my winnings or whatever. You know, it's not true. You know, most small businesses have a multiple and it's a range. So you gotta know the value of your business and be reasonable about it. Have a yeah. reasonable expectation. And the final thing is you gotta follow a process. In my case, I've developed a proven process at six steps. It's not really all that difficult to understand, but it's more than um, a little difficult to execute. Yeah. You know, so what do business brokers do that really, no matter how many things you get in place, it's going to be a challenge? Well, number one, they act as an intermediary. It's very hard for me to say, Jared, um, I noticed that you're not reporting all your income. Should I report you to the IRS right now? Or, you know, why are you a liar? You know, essentially, well, and the point I'm trying to make is no matter how go I, well. huh? Yeah, it's not going to go well. well. I could say it in any number of ways, but the way you're going to, you're going to accept it is just like I said it. Yeah. Thanks a lot for insulting me. An inner, <laughs> a business broker will be there when the buyer asks the question that way. And then he'll call you up the broker will call you up the seller and my client and say, Hey, Jared, uh, the buyer just had a, a little bit of a question about this and he softens the blow. He filters the information to you. So it's, it's delivered in such a way where you're not, it's not going to impact your feeling about him as a buyer. And that just adds up, man, that, that is straws on the camel during yeah. a sales process. And eventually at some point, the seller very prideful, in his or her business is going to get to the point where they say, I'm, I'm punting on this guy. I don't, you know, I just, I don't, I don't have it for him anymore or her anymore. And I'm tired of being insulted by it. So what do you recommend? Cause I, I think, I mean, that's probably central to a lot of the, the selling of a business is the necessity of really having that stark reality of what is my business worth? Yeah. And if anybody watches, you know, shark tank or the profit or what any yeah. of these shows, they see that that is a constant sticking point. So yeah. if I'm a business owner and I really want to get a, a reality check and give, my, yeah. give myself a reality check, what do you recommend or some ways that I start that or where do I look? How do I do that? You know, it's really funny you mentioned that. And I would say it's one of the core reasons I've, I do what I do because 90% of all US-based businesses are under a million dollars in annual revenue. Wow. Okay, so 90% of us 
are sitting there and we may have these independent businesses that suit our families fantastic. You know, we get to live the American dream, control our time, control our income, all of it. But we're still under a million bucks, right? If you go online and type business valuation, it is it's it borders on shocking how involved and how much you they want you to pay to get what's you know called this testimonial driven valuation or you know used discounted cash flow or I mean it just I I want to simplify it so what I've done over the past 25 years is really try to understand how you can use some really readily available metrics and as long as you have comparables which I have access to a deal database that have, has over 40,000 deals in it of completed transactions for small businesses wow I've created a report called my business range of value report and we we have a revenue method a seller's discretionary earnings method a fair price method and we have a it's a DSCR method but it's really taken from the SBA and what their ratios are for for how much they're willing to lend on any given business. So the revenue method means that based on comparables inside your niches, I can find 15 deals that have happened and look at the revenue of all of those businesses and then find a multiple. That's typically less than one. So a revenue multiple inside the average small business might be 0 0.8, 0 0.7. It just depends on the niche. On the seller's discretionary earning side it's called SDE that's also a very very common metric used in valuing businesses and all that means is it's all of the money inside your business that isn't used to run your business okay so let's say you have a business you know typical let's call it a business with a product cost of goods are 40 percent expenses of employees uh, whatever all the other expenses associated with it uh, location everything else that adds up to let's say 70 percent well then you pay yourself and you have profit and you have maybe some things that you use as you call fringe benefits all of that money gets added up and is called sellers discretionary earnings mm -hmm. so you use that number then and apply a multiple to it and it's again against it's against comparables in the niche that you're in and um, I've, I've simplified that process. So it's, it's easier to, um, to, to establish value and reasonable value because you're looking at other businesses in your niche. So Love that. in terms of going somewhere, you know, yeah, <laughs> I would advocate coming to see me, but um, you know, I mean, <laughs> valuing your business can be challenging. You can, you, there's some, there's some ways to, to find it on the asking price side. So if you went to like a, a place like biz by sell and you looked at asking prices for you searched your niche, you know, you typed in um, whatever it's going to be like ice cream store. And there are a number of ice cream stores for sale. You could look at the asking price and you could look at their revenue and you could, you know, you could pretty much plot a grid and find out what people are asking and what kind of multiple that turns out to be. Yeah. That gets you to an asking price, but some industries are so ridiculously overpriced that the difference between asking price and selling price, which we look at inside our report, uh, can be dramatic. Yeah. And I think the bottom line is you've got to, if you're thinking about selling your business, you can't just look at your business. So I love, you, you know, talking about the comparison. Who yeah. else is selling a business like yours? How are they doing it? Yeah. Um, what, what's it going for to, so that you can look at your kid and say, yeah, my kid's great, but look right. at all these other kids. Exactly. You know, they're, exactly. They're going maybe he does misbehave at school occasionally. And, and maybe he, uh, maybe he doesn't tie his shoes every time. And you know, that, that kind of thing is the reality check is important. That's important. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So tell us, uh, I know you did a recent podcast on, on your show talking about a business that you started Mm -hmm. uh, bought out your partner, mm -hmm. uh, sold, mm -hmm. and then you helped your mom buy it back again. Is that yeah. can, you, can you briefly tell us that story and just yeah. walk us through that? Because that's that's pretty unique. So it kind of caught my attention. I have not listened to the full episode yet, but I'm interested to hear it kind of from from the horse's mouth. 
Yeah, the company is called Nantucket Furniture Company. And back in 1997, um, time flies, man, when you're 50 and you have five kids. Um, you don't look like you're 50, so that's great. Well, I'm 50. <laughs> you're like, um, I feel like it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so back in 1997, as part of a wedding gift, believe it or not, my wife purchased some slip-covered furniture from a major well-known a furniture place. It was actually like a home furnishing slash decor place. A couple years later, we called up because the slipcovers had gotten a little ratty or something happened to them. And she said, you know, I'd like to buy some replacement slipcovers. The, basically the premise of slipcovered furniture. And the company said, well, we discontinued the line and none of it's, no, any, it's not available any longer. And I'm like, what? It's a, it's a, it's a pattern. Like, no matter whether you're building the frames or not, the stinking slipcover is just a pattern. <laughs> Sew it. You know, I mean, it's not that hard. So that literally at that instant, I said, that's a business. I said, and at the time I called it fabric and frame, furniture forever, slipcovers whenever. That was it. And then for 10 years, that idea sat on a shelf. I did other businesses. It just sat there. But after I sold the business I had started with two partners successfully, it came back up. And so I said, I've got time and money. Well, maybe I'll pursue this thing. So I went out and um, I decided I didn't want to name it Fabric and Frame. I named it Nantucket Furniture Company. And I made a mistake there because the word spelled correctly was not available. So I changed the spelling of the word and, and uh, titled my company Nantucket Furniture Company. But instead of E-T at the end of Nantucket, I did I-T. And people used to ask me and say, do you call it Nantucket with an IT because you tuck in the slipcovers? And I said, no, I, said, I, didn't, I, did. <laughs> I didn't do it that way. Um, but, and that's the whole like, you know, like the ego of a small business owner, you know, I'm like, why not just say yes? But I'm like, no, I didn't do it that way. Don't talk, you know, you act like such a moron at times. But anyway, I digress. Um, so I started calling around furniture companies because A, I didn't know how to make furniture. B, I didn't have a warehouse or a manufacturing facility or all the probably the ne necessary things you need to do it. But I did know by some research that a very big company that's still a home decor, well-known brand wasn't doing that either. They went to a furniture manufacturer and private labeled a line of slip covered furniture by um, by the manufacturer. So I said, all right, why don't I call these people and see if they'll do that for me? So I started calling around and I got to a company and I said, Hey, I'd like, I was wondering if I could sell your slip covered furniture. I'm an online company. Oh, well, we don't sell online cause it would really uh, create havoc with our brick and mortar retailers. So I'm like, well, I don't want to sell it. Um, I don't want to sell your brand. I want to sell my brand. I want to sell a privately labeled version of your furniture. Can I do that? They're like, yeah, you can do that, but you need to place a minimum order of 25 pieces. So I said, all right, let me see if I can round together 25 pieces of furniture. I'll go out. Can I have your, can I have your um, price list and everything? And can I go around and um, see if I can do that? They said, absolutely. So they sent me their price list and I just charged, I just told all my friends, anybody I knew, Furniture at cost. Here's where you can help me. I need 25 pieces. I don't want a dime over the cost. I'm going to bring you the price list at cost. If you want to buy any furniture, here's your chance. And I got exactly 25 pieces. No way. Exactly. So it was, I don't know, a ten fifteen thousand $15,000 ordered. I submitted it. They gave me the account. I, uh, I sent them deck labels, which is the label you put on a piece of furniture that's under the cushions with mm -hmm. my logo on it. And I'm in business as Nantucket Furniture Company and nobody in the world knows that I don't have a manufacturing facility. I don't have any of that stuff. I'm a, I'm a bona fide furniture company now. And so That's I, incredible. I turned the, I turned the site on in October of 2005. The first day some lady from Florida calls me and orders a blue sectional 3,800 bucks. I'm like, Holy cow, this is, this might oh. actually work. <laughs> and so, um, it was shocking to me because if, and I think it's still the, the, uh, the method of the website of the business now that my mom currently owns, it's you came onto my site, you looked at the furniture, you had to pay me up front 
100%, no returns, no refunds, and you can't sit in the furniture. This is what I offer, take it or leave it. And that's how I sold, that's how I did my business. And I, within probably 18 months, I had, I had, um, I had grown it to almost a million dollars in revenue. Wow. And so I just was advertising on Google when Google advertising was affordable. <laughs> and, um, you know, I built that business. And then 2008 came and the Great Recession hit. And it, uh, it basically halved my business. Wow. So I, I got it back up to about 65,000 bucks a month in revenue. And then I was burnt like burnt out mm. and I, I was ready to sell it. So I, I, I asked a business broker to help me believe it or not, even though I had sold two businesses before. And even though I was a intermediary before a business broker who specialized in online businesses and, and new buyers in my category, it was worth it for me to enlist the services of a business broker in that case. So I did. And I sold my business within like four months. Wow. So I sold it to another guy. He retained my mom who I had had on for two years because my mom is a fantastic entrepreneur in her own right. She had built a interior decorating business when I was growing up. So she knew how to do all that stuff. And when anyone called me and wanted to talk colors and fabrics, that was not me. So I asked my mom. Let me transfer you. Right, exactly. <laughs> so my mom came on and worked part time and just helped all the people who wanted some custom furniture colors and patterns and, and coordination of fabrics. So she did that for me. He kept her on for a couple of years and then he didn't make a go of the business very well. He did mm -hmm. not do well with it. He made some poor choices. He did not keep the business um, site current and there were fabrics that were out of stock that it just, it didn't go well. And, and eventually um, he offered it to my mom who said she wanted to buy it. She brought on a partner and I helped them buy it about 18. It was like 18 to 24 months ago. So that no is way. the story. And they still are in business. Nan, Nan they are in it. Go to Nantucket. It's N-A-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com, custom slip covered furniture. They, one of the mistakes I made that it's still, the business is still um, selling the stuff, but I made a mistake. Instead of just sticking to what I loved and knew best, which is just slip covered furniture, I started adding leather and upholstery and other things. And I just watered down my niche. You know, I, I was good at what I did, but when the great recession hit, I felt like if I added some more product lines, I could get my revenue back up. I should have just stuck to my guns and lived with what I got good at, which was selling slip covered furniture. So that's incredible. Lessons learned, but your mom sounds like she's doing good with it. Yeah. That that's again, like, you know, we talked about it earlier without 25 years of experience, I'm not as well suited to help people yeah. in this regard because you know, I've been through those wars. So love it. So I want to shift gears a little bit um, just for just keeping an eye on our time and want to be mindful of that. But yeah, you've done a lot. Um, and yeah. clearly one of the things that I, you know, first noticed about you is that you are very devoted to your family. Yeah. Very devoted husband, you know, father. Tell me how you manage it all. Right. I mean, obviously owning your own consulting agency can pull you away. Yeah. Um, so what are your strategies and, and how do you, how do you keep it all together on the home front while you're still grinding away on the business front? Yeah. Um, on a, on a really, really basic level, we, my wife and I started down this road knowing that my wife for her entire life, uh, well, when she was a young girl, she dreamed about being a stay at home mom. That's what she wanted to do with her life. I never had a dream. Like I was not fortunate enough to know what I wanted to do. I, I can tell you my dream at 11 wasn't selling slip covered furniture. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it wasn't stuff like that, but she knew I did know I wanted to be my own boss. I did know my personality was such that I was going to have a rough time taking orders from people, you know? So I did know that. So my wife and I made a deal. Uh, if, if she could stay home with the kids she would let me do whatever I could do to kill it and bring it home as long as it was legal. And, um, I could, I could really sort of keep mind of my priorities, which was, which, which are, you know, love my God first and then 
be present in the lives of my wife and kids. Be present, like physically present. Now, that has its set of challenges because my wife and I have talked about this regularly over the years, and you can't be great at lots of things. You know, you can be good at some, maybe great at one, and I've chosen to be great at being present in the lives of my family, but that means I've sacrificed business. You know, I've sacrificed maybe, you know, the top end of my business range for my family. So I've just made sacrifices on the business side and I've, I've tried to keep a, a owner, business ownership a part of me so that I wouldn't have to make really big sacrifices that lots of people have to make on a regular basis, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if that answers your question, that's how I get through it. Yeah. I love it. What are some of the ways that you are committed to being present in the lives of your, you know, children, family? Like how does that um, actually look? I on work from home. I work from home. You know, I, I don't work out of the home and I refuse to go, build a business with a location that I have to travel to every day. I've looked for businesses that I can build and develop from my home and work from home. So physically present is literal to me. You know what I mean? It means being physically there where all my kids for that. I, I have a, my oldest is soon to be 22 and my youngest is five every single day of their lives. Other than occasional business trips, I've been home to welcome them home from school and to see them off school. Cause I know I'm not getting that time back and it gets me emotional to a degree because I know like the sacrifices I've, I've made to do it. And my wife and I talk about this and I really am coaching myself and her through this, but now is my time. My, my youngest child is now in school full time. Now it's my time to execute the rest of the plan, which is now I basically have to be great at business so that I can build enough for retirement and so that I can say I was there presently for my kids and I was there to meet the needs of our family on the income and financial side too. I'm, I'm getting there. You know, I, I, I've done well, but I, I think, you know, there's still some chapters yet to be written in this story. For sure. What do you say to the people that just say that that's not possible? You can't, you can't build the family and the business and be just stellar in both. I say I get it. Like I get that the grass of small business ownership is not greener. It's just a different shade because no matter what you do, you're going to make sacrifices. So I'm not, I don't think I'm necessarily suggesting that my sacrifices are better sacrifices than somebody else, but I wouldn't have want to have not been there for my kids. I wouldn't have not want, I mean, I've, I've coached every single youth sport they've ever played prior to them turning 10 years old. So at soccer, baseball, football, basketball, I've coached probably 60 youth sports because I'm the guy who can be there at four o'clock for practice on Tuesday because that's what I want to do. And I've had to, I, I'm not saying that uh, every month, over the past 22 years, we've had enough money to pay all the bills every time. We've had to take savings and things like that. We've never had to go into debt, but, but that's the normal life of a small business owner too. Yeah. You know, I, I know there are lots of business out there where you have, have to have physical locations and that. I just think that if you want to make it work, you will. Yeah. I, I love that. You've got a, a range of kids and you have five kids, right? Yeah. So from five to 22, some of your kids old enough to probably understand that sacrifice yeah. that you've made. Yeah. What, what kind of feedback have you got from them or maybe validation have you got from them as it relates to, to the, well, those sacrifices? I'll read you a text. I just got from my daughter. Um, let me find it. This is my daughter who's a freshman in college. And um, this is a pretty powerful text. Um, if I can find it quickly, I'm okay. Here we go. You're good. Um, let's see. On this was uh, this was last Thursday. It, she sent this from college. Okay, I miss y'all. Um, you more than anything, and appreciate everything you've done and sacrificed me so much more than you truly know. I'm the person because you raised me, and I'm becoming evident through the conversation I've been having with my uh, my 
13-year-old daughter over the past couple days. She texted me because we started talking about a confirmation in church, and I don't know why I never really realized how amazing and God-fearing she is. She truly is a light, and wow, it just shows the parents you all are. I can just feel God moving all of the pieces in my life, and all of these people in college are saying how well I'm doing and all the friends I'm making is just based on the kindness and love and those core values you taught me. And I eventually learned also core values Jesus wants for me. And I always remember, Dad, when you would pick me up from soccer practice or a game or an event, I, you'd ask me if I was the kindest person on the field. And I was so annoying for me at times, but now it just shows me how much you raised me and mom just with literally everything you do and say, I only wish to be a quarter of the kind of generous person someday. Now I'm just crying in this library bathroom when I just had to send this text to you. So, wow. Yeah. Hey, that, thank you for sharing that. That, yeah. that's, that is inspiring. And I just want everybody who's listening to, I mean, to really just think on that for a minute because you don't get texts like that when you're absent when you're not present, when you're not intentional about being there for your family, raising your kids, all of that. And so just thanks for sharing. That's no, no personal and um, amazing. I'm, yeah. I'm inspired. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. To, it was good to get it because there are the, there's the other side of that conversation too. And it's the conversation when she was uh, thinking about colleges and we were probably at a low point and um, you know, we've we we've made a we've made a um agreement with our kids that we'll pay for their undergraduate education but we've given them a cap on that amount and that cap is an in-state tuition for the university of tennessee at knoxville and that's you know these days it's about 18 grand for uh, one year but she wanted to go out of state mm. and so that was going to be a that was going to be an extra 15 grand a year of loans on her wow and at one point I said, and it was another state school, just an out-of-state school. So very similar, just different colors, different yeah. basketball team. You know, it was very similar. So here I am, the mature adult, trying to have this conversation with this, you know, high school senior who is trying to work through all that. And I said, so let me get this straight. You're going to pick one state school over another state school with really essentially just different colors. And for that, you're going to be minus 60 grand in the hole when you get out of college. And her, literally, her response was, that's right, yes. And she stormed off. <laughs> you know, and you're like, well, what do I do now? This is a first. Like, I mean, these, you know, I'm, I don't, there's no training for any of this. Yeah. And I just, we just let her go and figure it out herself. And she came back reluctantly. And then she decided reluctantly to go to the school she's going. And then the first time she came home, she said, Dad, I just want you to know how well I'm doing, and I'm just so happy I'm here at the place that I, you know, quote, reluctantly decided to go to. But it was probably because she, even though it was a reluctant choice, it was her choice. Yeah. We made the choice. We didn't force it. We just said, please think of the consequences of you thinking about a very similar type school, but man, 60 grand in the hole to start. That's, you know, just think about that. Yeah. Yep. So well, it's just it's a it's a roller coaster ride. There's no doubt. I, I I think I would be a bit insincere if I tried to come off with you and all of your listeners as you know the parent of the year. I mean, this not that for sure, for sure. Hey, the, hey, there's definitely for every high point, there's probably there a are. dozen low points, right? I mean, it's yeah. a it's parenting is not easy. But I think to your point, I mean, when you're intentional about it, when you're thoughtful about it, when you are willing to make sacrifices for it. Mm. I think the end results end up being more often what you've just described, you know, kids realizing and being able to make good choices and recognizing sacrifice and, and being kind. I mean, that, that stood out yeah. to me that just, that, that's what's really important. Yeah. I, I think, and selfishly, like totally selfishly, I never, I don't want to be at the end of my life looking in a mirror and saying, I really regret not being there, you know, as it stands now, at least at a minimum, no matter how they turn out and they're going to have to survive in sure. spite of me yeah, in right. many ways, <laughs> like, or I don't know they're how leaving the nest eventually it's not going to be pretty maybe, but, but at least I can look in the mirror and know that I was present. Like I, yeah. 
that part of it I did not um, sacrifice. So love it. Well, I know we're just we've got just a few minutes left. So our the Greer method is really about uh, driving performance with consistent habits, the right skill and technique, and then managing our intensity. So real briefly, I've got a couple last questions for you. Um, okay. What are the core habits that you employ on a daily basis to drive consistent performance? Um, I do my very best to spend time with God first. If I put God first, I think um, he'll lead me through the day instead of me trying to lead either myself through the day or get led through the day by other outside forces. Um, I, I, I'm pretty consistent with that, I would say. I don't do it every day, but I try hard. Uh, I make my bed every day. There's a book that says make your bed. It's mm -hmm. a good way to get off to a start. And if you're really having bad days, at least you accomplish something to start the day. Um, from that, Tim Ferriss's book, Four Hour Work Week, is a pretty good oh, yeah. tool because he asks you to lay out your day and what's going to make today great and, and, and think of at least two or three things that you can do if you did those things for that day, it would be a successful day. So I try to do that most days. Um, you know, so those are some of the things, I guess. What are the ways that you continue to develop your own skills and abilities to, to help get you to where you want to go? Uh, continue to try to be a learner, you know, try to take in information about where I'm headed. So much of what I'm doing right now is trying to uh, launch my brand as I see it in the future, which is a combination of full service business brokerage, but then also as a, a teacher with a course that teaches people to, you know, for all those business owners, they may know this or may not. I actually have, I'm always surprised that there's a fair number of business owners that don't know business brokers exist to help them. Mm. But business brokers charge eight to 12% of the of value of the business. So if you sell your business for 500 grand and you've had a business broker help you and they charge you 10%, they get 50 grand. Most business owners may choke on that. You know, I, as sure. a business owner, I don't want to give up 10% of my business. If it means I get a hundred percent of nothing. Okay. I'll give up 10% of a hundred percent instead of, you know, I keep a hundred percent of nothing. But, um, what I'm trying to do is develop a course that allows you to save that money. Yeah. You know, if, if I could walk, if I could develop a course and tell you everything I know, so you walk through the process yourself and the only thing you got to keep mindful of is I got to be careful what I say. Otherwise I'm going to assault this person and he may walk away or she may walk <laughs> away. You know, the tips of, Hey, be mindful of this stuff. Cause this is the stuff you really can't do because you're not yeah. a business broker, but you know, that that's, that's how I'm trying to get better is I'm trying to develop a business where I can help more people. Love that. Love that. Awesome. And the very last question, how do you keep yourself far from complacency yet still avoid burnout or injury or, or you know, uh, stressing yourself out to where you lose all your hair? Gosh. Excluded, right? That's a good question. <laughs> I know. I got no hair. Look at that. Um, I don't necessarily know if I figured that out yet. You know, I think that's probably why you exist, you know, to help us um, work through some of that burnout. I do, I do experience burnout. I try to work out regularly. That's probably the one key thing. When I notice myself getting frayed, uh, it's because my kryptonite is um, a sedentary lifestyle. Mm. If I don't work out and I don't release that stress somehow, you don't want to be around me. You know, nobody does. I don't want to be around me. So if I can work out three times a week, I know that you're a big time triathlete. I saw that in your bio. So you may have some of the similar <laughs> outlook. No, I've definitely got to get out, man. I'm like a caged lion if I'm uh, sitting yeah. around all day. Yep. Yeah. I, I, think I, I think it's valuable that I know my kryptonite, which is yep. I don't know how to release stress in maybe a way that people can without exercise, it, but it does it for me, exercise. Yeah. So. Love that. Well, Scott, it's been an absolute joy to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on. Where yeah. can people get a hold of you? Um, connect with you? Where should we point people to? My website is probably the best place, williamandhill.com. It's, you know, William, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-A-N-D-H-I-L-L. 
facebook.com is probably i for people who want to talk to me and have questions about buying or selling a business there's a link to a, a consultation and i'm happy to talk to anybody without strings attached about you know what they're going through so awesome 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 well we'll put a link to that in the show notes cool and uh just again appreciate the time today scott loved having you on and we'll we'll probably have you on again because we didn't get to your three buckets we didn't right. get to discussion about the american dream which i wanted to yeah. uh, but we'll do that another day so definitely appreciate the time and and uh energy around it that's a great tease though the three buckets people are like what are three buckets?" i know man and i was i had that kind of actually high on my list but i think the conversation was was good so yeah it was good we'll, we'll bring you back again okay for sure, brother all right Thanks, Scott, have a good one thanks so all much i really hope you love that episode because uh scott's just a very genuine guy and i love just the candor that he has around you know here's what i've sacrificed to be able to be there for my family and be there as a father and a, a dad and a husband. And that's sometimes the hardest thing. And I think we drive so hard at our vision and what we're trying to build that sometimes we just forget that um, we're missing out on the opportunities that really build strong, relaxed, you know, lasting relationships, especially as it relates to our children and, you know, even our spouses. And so um, I just really appreciated this episode. I hope you liked it too. Uh, if you did, please share it with your friends. Uh, go to iTunes and uh, Apple Podcasts where you can leave a review. Please give us a five-star rating. Uh, wherever you're listening to podcasts on whatever platform, please go and leave a comment, leave a rating. Um, that helps us get our message out and reach more people. And that's definitely something that we want a message like Scott's um, to do. We want it to get out there and uh, more people to take notice and say, hey, you know what? Maybe all that I'm putting into this one area of my life, maybe I need to uh, expand and think, think broader. So thank you again for listening and we will see you next time.